Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Gordon. And today we're talking about you, about your potential, about where you are and where you could be. We're going to bring to you a proven system for closing the gap between how good you are and how good you could be. We're joined by Mark Sandberg. He is the president of Sanborn Associates, an idea lab for generation or for leadership development and turning ordinary into extraordinary. He's listed by Global Gurus as one of the top 30 leadership experts in the world. He's an award-winning speaker and author of eight books, including The Fred Factor, an international bestseller in New York Times, Business Week, and Wall Street Journal bestseller. But today, we're going to be talking about his newest book, The Potential Principle. Mark Sanborg, welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hey, Jen. Thanks. Great to be here. It's so good to have you here, and this is such an interesting concept, and it's it's really about getting the most out of your life, getting the most out of yourself. So in a nutshell, what is the potential principle? The potential principle is that we all know how good we've become, but none of us know how good we could be. I've never met anybody that tried to make the case that they were as good as they could possibly be, that there was just no more room for improvement in their life. But to kind of put the emphasis on that, let's just say that today... God came to you and said, you know, this is as good as your life's ever going to get. Starting tomorrow, it's all downhill. You know, your relationships will be less rewarding. You'll have fewer good experiences, make less money, your health will diminish. You wouldn't be happy about that. And when we uh, researched the book, we found out that 60, well, almost 60, 58% of the people that we talked to said they had a commitment to getting better, but only 30% had a plan. So I think that's wishful thinking, you know, to want to do something but not have a plan to do it doesn't take you very far. So I wrote the book so that regardless of where somebody is in their journey, in their business life, their personal life, they would have a process they could use to intentionally keep getting better. What I found interesting in this book, and and I... uh and, and I think maybe it's just human nature, but you 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 lead off in a way kind of making the case for why you should be better, why you should improve. Why do you think people sometimes settle? Why do you think they need to be not only say talked into it, but uh, shown that it that, that that growth is the way? If you don't have a compelling reason to do something, you don't do it. You know, in the book, I tell a story about working with a client who said, wow, you could so help my boss improve her speaking. But it'll never happen. And I said, why is that? And he said, because she doesn't think she needs help. Well, you know, you can't help somebody who doesn't think they need help. And so people settle, I think, because they buy into either consciously or unconsciously that good enough is good enough. And I'm not talking against uh, contentment. 
I believe in something I call positive discontent. And that is that we should be positively grateful and happy for what we've accomplished, but we should just never be content because life gets interesting when you wake up in the morning and you ask yourself, gee, I wonder how much better I could be today. In the book, I I talk about several reasons why everyone needs to get better. And I really do it not just for the reader. And when I do it with my audiences, I don't just do it for the people in the audience, but for the people that they lead, or maybe they're their family members, maybe their son, their daughter, maybe their team member. Because sometimes we as leaders have to build a case for getting better. And so to kind of summarize a little bit differently than I do in the book, I believe there are four C's that drive our need to get better. And the first, I hate to use the word change because, you know, it's used so much now, it's almost cliche, but there is so much change driving our need to keep up. Uh, You know, if you have a teenage son or daughter they probably use about 12 gigs of data in your plan. You're like my plan. That means most of it, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, and if you start to look at self-driving cars, a self-driving car in one hour uses 508 gigs. In other words, many, many times more data in an hour than a teenager uses in a month. And that suggests that data truly is driving the velocity and the speed of change. So if you stay the same, you get left behind in terms of the new technologies that uh, affect your life. You know, the second C is, is customers. The more you do for customers, the more they expect, don't they? I mean, if you're mediocre, they don't expect much. But if you're good, they expect more. So the more you do, the more they expect, which means you've got to be continually improving your value proposition. Uh, The third C is competitors. I guarantee your competitors, at least the best ones, they're working at getting better. So if you stay the same, again, in a relative sense, you lose ground. But my favorite reason is the last reason. I call that capability. Get better because you can, because you have more to offer others. You have more to offer the world. One of my clients put it well. They said, we don't benchmark against our competitors we benchmark against our capabilities. And we may be beating our competitors, but we're underforming or underperforming our true potential. Well, it's, it's true in business. If you're not growing, um, you're dying. And it's true uh, for personally uh, for that growth as well. If you don't continue to push that envelope, that's the, the case that you're trying to make. So let's kind of talk about that path to improvements. What, what sort of steps would somebody take if you were going to work with somebody side by side? Where do they start? The first question I'd have is, where do you want to get better? I mean, certainly using these principles and the potential matrix for your life in its entirety is fun, but it's a little more difficult than when you zero in on a particular area where you want to get better. So the first question is, in what area or which areas do you want to improve? And and do you have a compelling reason to improve? Because I always look at things in the long haul. You know, most diets uh, are abandoned in two days, right? And so if you don't really have a compelling reason, you want to stick to it. But the book is really divided into two sections. The first is where to get better, which I call the potential matrix. And the second section is how to get better. So there's four quadrants in the matrix and there's four techniques. So you've got a total of 16 combinations that you can use to improve in whatever area you choose to improve in. So let's say I want to bring myself, uh, 
I want to walk into boardrooms and, and client meetings uh, better, and I want to uh, present myself better. Is this something that I would, uh, you know, would you recommend that that uh, that I pair up with somebody? Would you recommend how do I look inside myself to realize that that's those are the steps I want to take? Where should I go? What, how could I unleash the potential to be a better speaker in public? Oh, good, good question, Chad. So let's begin with the matrix. The matrix is about the inner world and the outer world. It's about what we initiate and what we respond to. And since this is a, an audio podcast, I will just share the four quadrants because it's a little confusing if you don't have the diagram to look at. But in the outer world, you've got performing and learning. In the inner world, you've got thinking and reflecting. So you want to get better in all four of those areas. And here's the reality. Most of us have a preferred quadrant. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people, they just like to be out there doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are the people who, that when they get a little older, they sometimes have that existential crisis where they have done lots of things, but they say, why? You know, I've burnt myself out. I've diminished my health. Maybe I've, I've lost a relationship in the pursuit of doing and that's why I also talk about the inner world of thinking and reflecting. Uh, you know, all four quadrants work in, in concert. Thinking is about initiating. Reflecting is about responding to ideas that come to you, you know, epiphanies and insights that come from prayer or reflection. Learning is about responding to the good ideas of others or books or seminars or, or training programs. And, of course, performing is about creating output from the thinking and the reflecting and the learning. So I always tell people, don't just stick with what you prefer. Now, here's what's funny, Chad. Uh, I find it's fairly evenly split in my work with audiences. Uh, people kind of about 25% each choose one of the four quadrants. And for me, I love the thinking quadrant. Give me a, an internet connection, a stack of books, and lock me in a room for a day, and I'm a happy clam, right? I just I love ideas, and I love to contemplate. I love to create. The problem is, if I do that in the vacuum of thinking, I, I don't have, uh, I, I stall out because I've maximized all I, I can do as a thinker unless I learn how to think better. I'm not producing anything for others unless I perform. And I may be missing some real spiritual or subtle insights if I don't reflect. So those are the four areas, performing, learning, thinking, and reflecting. And all of us should think about getting better in each of the four because they'll each leverage the others. And obviously some are going to be more comfortable. Some are going to be, be like going into the gym and you're very comfortable doing bench press, but you may not be very comfortable on a treadmill. So you have to push yourself to spend more time, so to speak on a, on a treadmill to, to, to develop yourself in a better way. That's the, the case you're making. That's exactly it. And you know, we see people in the gym that have really big biceps and really skinny legs or really big legs and, and <laughs> right. really small shoulders and again, if your goal is just to have big biceps, that's fine. But if you're trying to uh, improve your health overall, it makes sense that you exercise all the key muscle groups so that those muscle groups would work in synergy to uh, increase your strength. Now, now people uh, can obviously uh, go online. Tell us the website if they want to look at that visual, because you did mention something and it's right on the podcast. It's it's hard to, to see that. What's the website? Go to PotentialPrinciple.com. PotentialPrinciple.com. And uh, that should be the easiest way to access it. As a backup, I go to MarkSanborn.com and just yeah. uh, just search for the potential principle. It's it's, yeah, it's it, so it, funny. I know where to find the book, and we were talking about this before we went on the air. But the, the diagram I know is in the book, but it's mm-hmm. floated several other places. And ironically, I'm not exactly sure where the diagram exists just by itself. 
Well, it's 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 all over the book, and it's funny uh, with the, the Blanchard companies. We're uh, we we're we're all about the four box color model, so we do we do love that. So uh, we love the visuals as well. So let's let's dig in a little bit more. So what if I come to you and I've 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 got a good career? I may feel a little bit stuck, but I say, Mark, I, I'm not really sure where I can improve. I think maybe I plateaued, maybe I peaked, and maybe I. What if this is all there is? What what do you tell that person? Well, before I answer the question, I'll just remind listeners that. We never truly become great at our weaknesses. There's, you know, uh, just a preponderance of evidence that we should always build on our strengths. But I think sometimes what gets lost in that conversation is that our weaknesses can be debilitating. In other words, if you develop an amazing ability to present ideas, but you're nothing more than a, a book report or a newspaper in terms of regurgitating what others have said, your strength at communicating information will be, you know, held back by the weakness of not having original ideas or content. So I would say start with what you most need to improve and ask yourself, you know, to use the metaphor of low hanging fruit. If I only improved one thing this month in my life, where would I see the greatest return and reward? Would it be in a relationship I have at work that needs repaired? Would it be in strengthening a relationship at home? Uh, learning a new skill, maybe you're not up on social media and you're missing that boat and how it can leverage your business. But ask yourself, where would I see the biggest benefit? Because that'll help keep you motivated. If The sooner you start seeing uh, return on your improvement investment, if you will, uh, then the easier it will be to create momentum to keep going. And so focusing on the areas that aren't as comfortable and the areas that you know that you have, I mean, because if you look at, look at it that way, that is kind of basically it's, that's your best opportunity for vast improvement, correct? If it's something you don't normally do and don't have strength, I mean, it's, it's an area for you to really, really thrive. Most of the time. I mean, if you're a good swimmer and a bad skier, why would you want to keep getting better at swimming unless you just decided to stop skiing? You know, I, I think we stick with, we stick with where we're comfortable. We stick with our existing skills and by the way, people say, well, I enjoy swimming most. You enjoy swimming most because that's where you have the best skills. I can still remember, you know, I'm 59 years old, and I can still remember the first time I skied, and it was not pleasant. Uh, <laughs> it was, it, you know, all these many years later, I can still remember, you know, falling and falling hard and falling often. But it was because I developed the skills that enabled me to become a good skier that I truly enjoyed it. So don't, don't say that, you know, I just enjoy it because I'm good at it. You're good at it because you've developed the skill set that makes you uh, capable and competent. This podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, and there's a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization, go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. And they have a special offer right now. Send an email to podcast at KenBlanchard.com with leader chat in the subject line. Now through the end of summer of 2018, one grand prize winner chosen randomly will receive a free one-on-one call with Ken Blanchard. Five others will receive a signed copy of Ken's latest book, Servant Leadership in Action. So you dig a little bit, you dig deep into learning. So we've talked about that as well. What uh, what can you do when harnessing other people? How can you bring other people into this equation so well, they can help you? That's a great transition to the four skills or the four strategies. You know, I, I talked about four areas where we could get better, any of us. Well, let's talk about four ways. And I call that engage others. And the way I summarize that is I say, if you want to get better, think who before you think how. Who already knows? You know, why reinvent the wheel? Find the expert. 
Find the best book that's ever been written. Find the best training seminar on that particular subject. Because so often we think about where we want to improve and we say, gee, I don't know how to do it. And then we just start making it up on our own and only later find out, wow, somebody had already figured that out. And there was a great course or a great teacher or a great coach or a great mentor. So engaging others means we always accomplish more when we avail ourselves to the skills of others. Now, I know, Chad, you're probably thinking about another aspect of that, of course, and that's accountability, where we engage others to hold us accountable for getting better. And I touch on that. uh, But what I'm talking about isn't just having someone that holds your feet to the fire, but finding the experts, finding the people that already know and either emulating them or learning from them. One of the chapters you talk about disruption, and that's so important in business for people to um, look at their business and 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 try to continue to to kind of push the envelope so that they're not being left behind. But you make the case that uh, that we should kind of disrupt ourselves through this process. Yes, that's another technique I call the disruption question. And the point is, you need to disrupt yourself before life or somebody else does. Think about it. Right now, you and I and I'm not being pointed in this comment, but I'm pretty confident that it's true for you as it is for all of us. We have something we're doing that didn't work in that well. We have a relationship that isn't doing that well. We have a problem that isn't going that well or being solved, but we're not doing anything about it. So what's going to happen is that relationship or that process or that problem is going to disrupt us eventually. And it may be a much worse disruption than the discomfort that it would have required of us to address it. Now, when I talk about disrupting relationships, everybody panics and they go, oh, yeah, that reminds me of the poor performer. They're not pulling their weight. I got to disrupt them and get them on track. But I I don't want to do that. That just sounds so harsh. So what you do is you wait until two years from now, you have to fire them because they're total underperformer, right? I always say when you initiate disruption, it's always more pleasant than when it is thrust upon you. And the other thing, Chad, I talk about is, is that you can positively disrupt a relationship. Maybe you got somebody in your life right now that really feels underappreciated. And you, you appreciate them. You know, you know you appreciate them, but they don't know you appreciate them. So positive disruption is when you build into the life of another person, you go, you know what? Let me tell you, not just that I appreciate you, but let me tell you specifically why I appreciate you. And those are just two examples of the disruption question applied to relationships. So I'm going to throw something out to you, and I imagine it's uh, it's something you've you've run into yourself uh, again without being pointed. It might be somebody you've coached, but uh, I would have done so much last week if I had not been distracted. If I had not been, you know, if, if you know the shiny object in front of me didn't take the the best of it. Do you feel that uh, we are at such a disadvantage now with technology? Is this is it something that we can overcome? Because it seems like some of the best intentions out there do get sidetracked because there's so much more at our fingertips. The reality is most of us welcome distractions and interruptions because it keeps us busy and it creates a false sense that we're accomplishing something. In in a different area of my work, I say that activity is the anesthesia of the ineffective leader. It's not how busy you are. It's about what you're accomplishing. And what you're talking about is my chapter on refocusing. Here's what happens. You say, I'm going to get better. And you identify two or three things you need to do every day to get better in a particular area. Maybe it's that public speaking example that you gave. Well, if you don't refocus what you do every day, you'll repeat what you did before you decided to get better. You know, it's, it, it's like a board retreat. 
the, the leadership team comes back with these grandiose visions and goals for the coming year, but they never say to people, now, based on what we're trying to achieve, what do you need to do differently? If you don't refocus your behavior, you repeat. And if you, and, and this is very powerful, if you spend more time each day doing the important things, you will accomplish more important things. And I know that sounds nonsensical and, you know, and wah, wah, but here's the deal. Uh, you've got, it takes discipline to, to put aside the distractions. Uh, stop multitasking. I write about that in the book. The research is clear. There is no such thing as good multitasking. It's task switching. It has the same psychological effect as if you were driving under the influence. It dulls you mentally. So focus on what's in front of you and don't be distracted by it and you'll instantly improve whatever it is that you're doing. Great tips and uh, and great advice uh, just in general, whether it's in the job or at the home, uh, just be focused on what's in front of you and, and try not to be. Uh, well, and and let, let me interject. I'm sorry to interrupt, but okay. choose what's in front of you. you know? Yeah. yeah. Don't let interruptions walk in on you. You know, block. Uh, I talk about blocking time to work on important things. You know, there's a wonderful book. Never met the guy. I hope I do because I've recommended his book as much or more than I recommend my own. A guy named Cal Newport, who wrote a book called Deep Work. And if you really f- struggle with getting important and deep work done, read that book. It will Man. rock your world. That's a great tip. Great piece of advice. Thank you very much. We're talking with Mark Sanborn, the author of Potential Principle. And uh, we've just got a, a time for just a couple more questions uh, uh, before we dig into uh, some some questions you can ask of yourself that are that are great in the back of the book. I want to ask a, a, a couple more things. So I've already shared with you that question about distractions, but what about capacity? What if, what if, what if people really feel that they're stretched as far as they can and the thing that's holding them back from their best self is if they just had time. The only way I could do this, Mark, is if I, I, I need to take a six-month sabbatical to get better. What do you say to those people? Well, simple. The only two ways to grow any business in the world are grow yourself and grow your team. So if you don't make time to grow, the, the ugly alternative is you work longer, harder hours. Because you either get better at producing more in the same amount of time you work, that's called capacity, or you say, instead of working 10 hours a day, I'm going to go to 11 and then next month to 12, and then you eventually, you know, become so fatigued, you, you throw up your hands. Increasing capacity simply means you learn how to accomplish more in the same amount of time or less. And that comes from skill development. That comes from learning. That comes from new ideas. And if you uh, don't get intentional about increasing capacity, it won't happen. Uh, I always say that the only thing that gets better accidentally with age is wine. You know, the rest of us have to <laughs> have to make it a, a point to get better. So intentionality is is key, and that's what allows you to increase capacity. So, uh, you know, it, it, learning is is complementary. But you see, learning can be conceptual until you apply it. Learning really takes place in the application. Typically, what you're doing is retaining ideas until you can use those ideas to increase capacity. That becomes true learning. It, it truly is. the The book is broken up, uh, and it it's it's a great read. Um, it's broken up into skill sets and mindsets. You know, the both the thought process of 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 the why, but then also the how. Um, 
one of the pieces that I found to be uh, really important for me, because I'm still on my, as we all are on our perpetual journey of growth and, and development, but you you make the case that we really have to figure out ultimately what matters most to us. And we need to share that and make sure that people are aware of that as well. And it helps drive us. So is there a, a, a way that you go about to help people kind of zero in on 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 what matters most and where you should focus should be? Well, that's a big question to ask in, in the remaining time we have, but I mm-hmm. will give you two ideas. First, you know, I say leaders know what matter, what matters, and they make it matter to others. If you know what matters in your life, you're a, a person of principle or character, but it's when you're able to make the important things matter to others that I believe you're a leader. And I think that really understanding what matters is understanding the difference between, uh, you know, desires and um and wishes. Uh, desires are things that have an emotional component to them, and the reasons behind those, those desires hold up under scrutiny. Uh, it, you know, if you ask the question why enough times, it will get you down to the bedrock of whether something is really important or not. And I'll just give you a quick example from my personal life. I'm a pilot who isn't current. That means I haven't flown in many years. And to fly, I would have to go back and and take some more instruction and get my license current. And about once or twice a year, I would think about doing that. And occasionally I would call a flight school and I would tire kick the idea. After about 15 years, I realized, "Eh, I don't think I'm going to start flying again. I love aviation. I love airplanes. I love to be uh, part of the industry, but not as an active pilot. So it took me a long time to dig deep enough to find out that that was wishful thinking, but it wasn't a true desire of mine to get current again. Now, that's a pretty low priority, what matters. I mean, it matters to me, but it may not matter to you. But it's the same process that we have to go through to make sure we have compelling reasons to do what it is we think we want to do. And stay focused and, uh, and it pretty, it presents itself, right? If you have those books and you're, you're going to take that course, if the, if the passion doesn't take you to, to lead you to that way, it, it's pretty obvious. It's kind of a self-selection process, isn't it? it? You, your passion brings you to what drives you the most and where you want to go, I guess is what you're saying. If obviously you don't want to be up in the air right now, you have your focus is in other areas and that's where right. we should look at it as well. I like being up in the air. I just like letting somebody with a lot more skill than me be, uh, Flying the airplane, I'm yeah. content to sit back in the uh, in, in the the back of the plane. So great tips, some great ideas. Uh, um, if if we could leave our our listeners with just one thought, one thing that you want them to know, want want them to think about and ponder uh, after listening to this uh, recording, um, what would you like to, uh, them to know? Well, each morning, make it a goal to go to bed that night a little bit smarter than you were when you woke up. Learn something new, try something different, make a new friend. Pursue a new idea, but uh, don't go through life status quo. Uh, As Helen Keller said, is life not a thousand times too short to bore ourselves? That's beautiful. I love that. Mark Sanborn, the author of The Potential Principle. Um, there's, uh, it's Like I said, it's broken up in a great way. Um, the mindsets, the skill sets, uh, there's gr- great activities in the back that uh, once you pick up this book, you can take the eight questions to making yourself the best you, the, yourself the best you can be. Um, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really excited to, to have you on uh, the Leader Chat Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. The pleasure has been all mine. And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, 
or Google Play or wherever you're listening, and please share this with your friends. The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. Thanks, uh, Chad. I'm just thrilled that you were interviewing Mark Sanborn. You know, I've been a Mark Sanborn fan ever since his book came out, The Fred Factor. But then when I met him and spent some time with him, he's an incredible human being. And I think one of the great thought leaders that we have in our country today. And I think that this new book of his, uh, The Potential Principle, is really outstanding. And I think that this recording that you all are listening to is really important. Share it with other people because I think what he's talking about is how can you move from who you are to who you could be. And he's really talking about how do we become lifelong learners. And I've said it even to the more extreme, if you stop learning, you want to lie down so they can throw the dirt on you because you're already dead. Uh, but it's just so important, you know. And at my ripe age of uh, 79, I'm just excited about every day about what I might learn. And in, uh, in my refiring work, uh, Mort Shavitz and I talked about four areas that you can uh, refire and learn in. And they're similar somewhat to what Mark was talking about. One was what are you doing intellectually? Was What are you doing to stimulate your mind and, and learning new skills and all that kind of thing? Second one is what are you doing physically? Because your body is important. If that wears out, you're in big trouble. Uh, the third one is, what are you doing spiritually? And, and Mark talked about that, too. We're not talking about religion. We're talking about how can you realize it's something bigger than you, that you're not the center of the universe, and it gets right into humility and all those kind of things. And then the final one is emotional relationships-wise. You know, are you hanging out and with the same people, going to the same restaurants and all? What are you doing to develop new relationships and all? And I just think it's just so important to be a constant new learner because that makes life exciting. So I think you ought to have uh, your peers and colleagues uh, listen to this uh, recording and also go get the the, uh, potential principle. I think it really would be helpful to you because remember, when you stop learning, you're really in trouble. Thanks, Mark. You're fabulous. And Chad, you're not all that bad either. (laughs) 